My name's Ray, and I'm an alcoholic. I come into an AA program, a hopeless drunk. I had no hope in life. In fact, uh, when I woke up in the morning, I cussed God for keeping me alive another day. I just wanted to end. I didn't want to go on, and uh, there is no hope. There's no way I could change. It's impossible. But I got a DUI, and the court sent me to this 12-step program, and uh, I did not want to do it. They had God in it. I had a resentment with God. I hated God. I blamed God for a lot of things that happened in my life. And uh, I just did not want to do it. But I had no other place to go. So uh, I just kept going to meetings, and the people were there to help, and they shared God's love with me. And I learned how to uh, work the steps, and uh, it took me a couple of years to do it because I'm hard-headed, stubborn, and... Uh, but it worked. It totally changed my life. Um, uh, I have hope today. I love God. I pray to God every day, and I thank God for giving me life. And I really thank God for showing me uh, this program because it, it, it has saved my life. And it's a program that I live by. It's not something I read, and, and uh, it's something I live. And uh, thank God for this. It gets me to deal with all my fears, insecurities. It gets me to be honest and deal with life. Uh, you know, I hid from life, you know. If something bothered me and I get upset, what do I do? I turn to alcohol, something to calm down, relax. Well, I zone out, and uh, the more I drink, the, the more addicted I become to alcohol, uh, the weaker I become. And it's harder and harder to deal with my emotions. And so as life's problems come up, I just can't cope with it. So what do I do? I drink. I just drink. And it just gets worse. It's a progressive disease, and it, it, it just takes you. And uh, it's a, uh, it'll kill you if you don't deal with it. I, I love what's going on with our RSVP people and, and how they're teaching these 12 steps. And how they're practicing, and we're learning what's been biblical for a long, long time. You know, one thing that Ray said in there that I hope you caught is that he was in trouble as long as he wasn't willing to deal with his insecurities and his fears. And then he said this penetrating line, it will kill you if you don't deal with it. But he dealt with it, and like you said, it saved his life. And that's the power of these 12 steps. Because all of us have some kind of issue in our life that's caused us some pain. And, and the immediate response to pain is just to go into a state of denial. It's like, this, this really hurt. I can't think about it too much. I've got to find some way to cover it up. The problem is, that leads to dysfunction all around me. And in the long run, it leads to that death, to that destruction. You see, let's talk about denial just a moment. Denial is just a natural coping mechanism to help me from, to not have to deal with the truth. Someone put it this way. I protect myself by refusing to know myself. We do that in all kinds of different ways, some small things, big things. After you've been through the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, how many of you avoid the scales? Because we want to live in denial. 
If you're lonely, you might post all these pictures of you and friends that makes it look like you really have great friends. If you're in college and you're failing seven out of five classes. (laughs) Did you catch that? You want to call your parents and say, oh, I'm loving learning. This is the best part of my life. You know, if you're a preacher and you look out in the audience and you see people on their phone and they never look up, you want to assume they're reading their Bible, okay? And so you live in denial. I mean, it can go on and on. And today, it's especially easy because on social media, we can present the best part of ourselves, We can put just the perfect pictures. Now, I don't even know how to do this, but I know you can crop them to make them look good. You can filter them so they have a different color scheme on them that makes you look better. If I could learn to do this, I'd look better. And we learn to present this filtered image. And what's so funny about it, even today, if you don't filter it, you put a hashtag, no filter. Because we want to look good. Mark Twain had a great quotation, been used in many movies since. Mark Twain put it this way, the Nile ain't just a river in Egypt. It's a part of our lives. It's not a river, it's a place we actually live. We say this all the time, he is living in denial. Let me give you some techniques to live in denial. Some of them you may use, there's a long list there, we just look at a couple of them excusing. I can always come up with some way to explain away my behavior. I wouldn't be so angry if work were not so stressful. I can blame it on somebody else. If my father had really been involved in my life, I wouldn't have this issue. If my mother had potty trained me in an effective way, I I wouldn't be struggling. You can go all the way to dodging where someone brings the subject up, you change the subject. Or even worse, attacking. If someone brings up, you know, buddy, I've been watching you lately. It appears you have a drinking problem. Instead of that, I can actually attack the person. Or I might minimize the problem. Well, I'm drinking, but it's like I hear so many people say, I could quit anytime I wanted to. Or comparison. Yes, I've got this issue in my life, and I know every time I get lonely, I spend way too much money, but my neighbor is obviously wasting more money than me. All kinds of ways that we can live in denial. Now, here's the problem with denial. It doesn't solve anything. Actually, it makes it worse. It's like if you're in major debt and you get tired of looking at the bills. And so you get to the place where you don't open them. And then you get to the place where you just throw them in the trash before they ever get into your, you know, get by your desk. You just want to live in denial that you're really in this kind of trouble, but the more you throw them away, the bigger the debt is, the more trouble you're in, and someday a creditor will knock on your door. Like Ray said so well, it will literally kill you. So today we're going to talk about how do you break through this denial? Because for many of us, these these walls of denial are so thick. Now here's the good news. Jesus specializes in breaking through denial. So I want you to look at a passage with me. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'd like you to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 23. And this is not going to speak, sound like Jesus. This is not our normal picture of sweet little Jesus. 
This is the picture where Jesus is coming down on some people. And the shocker is, it's the most religious people he comes down on. It might be a crowd much like us. Why? Because they allowed their religion to cover up their problems. And you talking about excusing and blaming and pointing fingers to other people? The Pharisees had that kind of denial down pat. Listen to what our Lord says to them, Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, not a good way to start. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, that's Jesus' word for denial. You are so blind to your own fault, you are being self-deceived. What's he say? Here's what you ought to be doing. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teach the law of Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I don't know if you noticed that, but Jesus was not given a compliment, okay? I mean, those are the kind of words we think, did Jesus not love these Pharisees? I mean, he doesn't even talk to the adulterous woman this way. He doesn't talk to the, you know, the, the, the woman at the well this way and hear these religious folks and he's just blasting them. Let me tell you, folks, Jesus loved everybody. And Jesus loved these people. And what Jesus knew their problem was is that they were in denial. And so Jesus isn't being unloving here. Jesus is saying, I want to break through your denial so you will finally see the truth about yourselves so you can be right with God. And guys, that's what I love about the, the, the four steps we're going to look at today. We started with those three steps that led us to surrender to Jesus, the one who can break through our denial. And then steps four, five, six, and seven. Man, they make you come face to face with areas of your life that you've been unwilling to maybe even look at and certainly not deal with. Let's get started. Step number four is examination. And here's what... The life recovery steps say we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That's gutsy. Searching, fearless. It's like the businessman with the warehouse who gets his clipboard and goes through checking what he has and what he doesn't have. God's saying to you, you need to walk in your own house, in your own life with a clipboard. It helps to write these things down. And you need to go not just in the living room where everything's always in place because nobody uses it. You need to go in the den. You need to go in the kitchen. You need to get back in the bedrooms. You need to be willing to go in the closet where you hide everything. You may even need to go in that dusty, awful cellar where you've pushed things down for years and years. And you need to take an inventory of what's going on. Now, let's all just be honest here. Oh, that's scary. To really look deep in my life as to what I think and do and act. But the Bible says it's necessary. Look at a couple passages here. Lamentations 3, verse 20. He says this, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Part of returning to God is being honest with where you are. How about this passage? David, Psalms 139. You're talking about 
a gutsy, high-risk prayer? You want to walk out of here and something really happened in your life? Pray this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart, and know my anxious thoughts. Keep going with me if you would. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What's he saying? Man, if there's anything wrong in me, God, I'm tired of living in denial. You bring it to my mind, and God will answer that prayer. Now, here's what you got to see, guys, is that God blesses people that are honest. The people that Jesus had trouble with were the people that were blind to their own faults. Have you ever noticed so many stories in the gospel where there's two characters, one who's really, really bad outwardly, one who looks really, really good, but by the end of the story, it's the guy that was really, really bad who looks really, really good in God's eyes. Why? Because it's the guy that was really, really bad who was willing to be honest. And it was the self-righteous person who wouldn't be honest that God had a problem with. Because sometimes we say, oh, if God knew that, because he knows it. If I said that to God, well, we, no, he, he knows it before you say it. What he's struggling with is you not acknowledging it. So you begin here, step four, by busting through that barrier through examination. Now you say, how can I do that? That's so scary. Listen to this quotation I heard this week. God doesn't love us if we change. God loves us so we can change. So guys, here's the deal. Especially after we've taken communion together today in such a wonderful way. We have acknowledged that God loves us unconditionally no matter what. It's out of that foundation of love that now I can be secure enough to go, i got a problem. So I want Leanne Jordan to introduce step five to you. My favorite step is step five. And step five is that we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Um, steps one, two, and three, people love and they talk about a lot. Step four is your spiritual inventory that everybody gets so uh, been out of shape about. But step five was the hardest thing for me because I didn't have a network of Christian women that I could share those things that I needed to. Um, AA and NA, we have a saying, you're only as sick as your secrets. And so even when I went through and did an inventory in step five, I had to go back and I had to have a network of women that I loved and trusted. And so the program and step five has helped me build my core group and we go do things together and I love these women and I, we, we just talk about what are the chicks going to do and we make each other better because we are constantly in a process of working step five, of admitting to each other and praying together to admit to God when we have done something that we need to be accountable for. Step five is so important. You, you heard Leanne put it this way. You got it on the screen here. We admit it. Listen to who you admit it to. To God, to ourselves, and to others. To another human being. The exact nature of our wrongs. Leanne said something so important there. Because we go, oh, man, I just want to talk to God about this. Or, I mean, that, that's just why I sure don't want to, maybe not even admit it to myself much or certainly not to somebody else. But here's something Leanne said that I think Scripture confirms. We are only as sick as our secrets. It's when you conceal things that you're destroyed. In fact, that's what the wise man said. Look at Proverbs 20, chapter 28 in verse 13. Whoever conceals their sins 
does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You see, God says it's when you say it out loud to people and to him that he can deal with it. In fact, that's what James chapter 5, verse 13 says. I love, love this verse. Therefore, confess to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, please catch this. He's not telling you to confess to another person to be forgiven. God's already done that. He's asking you to confess to another person to be healed. Listen, do not underestimate the healing power of being willing and able to admit the worst about yourself to someone else. Because when they hear it and they go, you know what, me too. Or they hear it and they go, you know what, I still love you no matter what you've told me. There is an incredible power of healing there. We know that. We know that from history. One of the most beautiful things that ever happened in my life was in South, South Africa. When that country that had been under, you know, we talk about segregation, they had been under apartheid, which was even worse and even more abusive. A very minority of white people was able to rule over and abuse the Africans for a long, long time. And finally, in the late 80s and 90s, that system was overturned, and everybody wondered, what will the Africans do to the people who've been in control and oppressed them? And a really godly man named Desmond Tutu came up with something called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And this is what they offered to anyone who had been in power and abused it. If you will come public and confess what you did and tell the truth, everything will be okay. There will be no repercussions. There's no punishment. He wasn't asking them to confess publicly to not be punished. He was asking them to confess publicly for their own healing and the reconciliation of a nation. Now, the worldwide press said that is a revolutionary concept. No one has ever done this. It's unheard of. Well, it was pretty revolutionary, but it's not unheard of. That's the way God's people have always handled our issues. We confess them, we're reconciled. You see, this, this confession part that you might get hooked up on, I mean, you know, you might not have the chicks that Leanne, Hart, Leanne has, you know, to, to, to do that. But, but you need somebody. And when you do that, it's, in fact, let me just say this before we move on from this point. It's necessary. It's totally biblical and it's necessary. Because if you're living in denial, Normally, you've lived that way a long, long time, just a cycle of I'm pushing this thing down. I'm not going to think what happened with my parents. I'm not going to think about what I did in that marriage. I'm not going to think about my addictions. I'm not going to think about these negative thought patterns that won't get through my mind. When you finally say it, you can be released. Now, here's something fascinating I learned this week. Psychological studies say, If you are addicted to one of the biggest addictions in our culture today, pornography. I mean, I I guarantee you I'm talking to a lot of people right now who struggle with pornography. Catch this. Zero percent of people who struggle with pornography will get better if they don't tell someone else. Zero percent. 
What's that saying is, guys, most of our problems, we don't get better until we say it out loud to somebody. And maybe the reason you're not overcoming what's going on in your life is because you've never said it. So we start off with examination, we go to confession, and then we go to step six, which is preparation. Listen to this one. We were entirely ready to have God remove all the defects of our character. Now, here's what the Bible calls this. The Bible word for this is repentance. Repentance is when, in my mind, I go, I'm ready. I'm sick of living this way. I'm sick of the issue. And and now, not only do I want to stop doing that, but I want to do a U-turn, and I want to go and run after God. You're not going to overcome the problem without this cooperative effort of you turning and you coming to God. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Pretty strong illustration here. Paul's telling these people how they change. And he's telling them they have a part of it. See, sometimes I sit around just waiting on God to zap me. God, God, I know I got this problem. I need to be over with it. And Lord, if you really want it over, you just take it away from me. You know, just this God, one day you do. That's not the way it works. Listen to Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Go to the next slide, please. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what you're supposed to do. Work out your salvation. I even read that. Now that I understand grace, Paul's words there make me a little bit uncomfortable. But we've got a misunderstanding of grace, okay? Go to the next slide. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What he's saying is, you know what? When you move, God moves. The God's the one with the power. God's the one with the blessings. But God does not bully his way into your life. Let me give you an illustration of this. How do you remember safety deposit boxes? Okay, if you, if you got, let's say you inherited something really awesome in your family. And, and it's so wonderful that you, you didn't want anybody to be able to get in your house and steal it. Or if there's a fire, you couldn't have it destroyed. And so you went down to the bank and you bought a safety deposit box to put it in, to protect it. Now, here's the thing about safety deposit boxes. You can only open them with what? Two keys. One key won't do it. And so here's what I want you to see. God's got all the, this inheritance, all these blessings, all this power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Scripture. God's got the abundant life. He's, he, he has secured it, and he's passing it on to you. And he's put it in this safe box so nobody can take it away. And on the death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus turned his key. And when you repent, you turn your key. And then all the blessings and power of God are yours. But the box will never open without both keys being turned. I'm telling you guys, God's already turned his key. All he's waiting is you to decide to invite him to remove all of your issues. And that brings us to number seven, invitation. We humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. I mean, if you read through Scripture, you get this idea. God is sovereign. Don't ever forget that. But the sovereign God has made a sovereign choice that he will work in our lives only if we give him permission. It's like if you go to a great surgeon that you know can heal you, it's time for you to have that surgery. I'll guarantee you before you can have that surgery, you've got to sign a consent form. 
You've got to give permission. And then when you do it, it can happen. And God says, give me consent and I'll do spiritual surgery on all that rough stuff that's come up in your life. Look at a couple passages. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Here's David, who is so messed up. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Keep going. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What's David doing? He's saying, God, I'm giving an invitation. I've been really screwed up, and I make some really bad mistakes. And God, I can't clean my life up, but I'm inviting you to come in and have your way. L- listen to what John says. He says it in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 8, or verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. To give us our sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, guys, not only does he just forgive us, but he also does the hard work of purifying us. So it's that wonderful place of invitation. Now, here's the deal. When you start inviting God, when you start examining your life, being honest about it, confessing it, and saying, God, have your way. God works in so many different ways. Don't, don't just wait around for God just to zap you one moment. You, you remember that old story about the guy that's in the, you know, on the top of the roof and the house is flooding, the water's getting higher and higher, and he just begs God to save him. He's got a lot of faith that God will save him. And a rowboat comes by, and the guy says, jump in. He said, no, man, I'm trusting God. Then the motorboat comes by, and the guy said, no, I've already prayed to God about it. The guy says, jump in my boat. I'll save you. He said, I've already prayed to God about it. And then finally, there's a helicopter, and they drop a line. And the man says, I've got faith in God. He's going to save me. I can't do this. And so, of course, the man drowns, and he shows up in heaven, he's ticked off at God. So he says, God, I had faith in you, I prayed to you, and you didn't save me. You let me down, and I don't understand why. And God replied, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What else do you need? And my friends, you know why you're with these people today? Because God sent people to help you. You know why you're in this church? Because this is a life-changing way place. You know why you can go to a small group? Because in that kind of fellowship you grow. You know why God gave you a friend to confess these to? Because you need the help. You know why he gave the Holy Spirit? Because you need the power of God to help. You know why he gave you the Bible that you need to open up? Because it's got the words that will bring eternal life. God is saying, I'm sending all this by you right now in this moment. God may be dropping the line right now in the middle of this service. I mean, you're sitting here struggling with whatever you struggle with. You know your issue. Your place of denial, even though you're trying to push it back down during this service, it keeps coming up. And I'm telling you, God is throwing you a lifeline today. Just like that incredible song we sang a few moments ago. Who else could rescue me from my failings? It's God. So what's the opposite of a denial? It's to live not in denial, but to live in truth. Look at what Jesus said in John 8, 32. We'll close out with this passage. Read this out loud with me. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, if denial is the issue that keeps me from getting well, truth is the answer. 
John 8, 32 is not Jesus said, if you know the truth about some doctrinal peculiarity that you grew up with, then, no, that's not what he's talking about. Truth is a much better word here. It's about, do you know the truth about God? Do you know the truth about yourself? Do you know the truth? Who is Jesus? When you finally face that, then you have the opportunity, as Jesus said, to be free. So today, as we sing in just a moment, you've got a chance to bust through your denial. Maybe you've been coming to church for years and years, and you've been talking to God about this, but you've never let anybody else know. Today, you could show up on this front row. I know this church well enough. You could confess whatever you need to confess, and we will love you, and we'll help you, because most of us are in the same boat. Or maybe if you'd like to meet one of our leaders in front of one of these doors here and just let them pray with you privately. Or possibly today's the day for you to be baptized and to surrender. You know what's going to happen when you get in that water? We're going to ask you to make a confession. You know what the word confession means? It simply means to agree with God. You're going to agree with God the Father that Jesus is the Son of God. Or you may sit on this front row and agree about the truth of your life that you've been denying for a long time and you've been stuck and it's leading to destruction. I, I, I love what Ray said. When he lived in secret, she said, it will kill you. I love even more what Jesus said. If you confess the truth, it will free you. Wow you got a chance to take a step toward freedom right now while we stand together and sing.